The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 32, Positive School Culture with Megan Kessner. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey, what is up, Kyle? Ben, long time no talk. I know. it's It's been a while. It is summer. We are currently out of school, sort of. Sort of, yeah. I was going to say, I think I've done... As much, if not more, work in the past couple of weeks on different school-related things yep. than I did in the last month of school. Yeah, yeah. I uh, officially started my principal job July 1st, which meant I started to work. So, yeah, I've been at work every single day. <laughs> yeah, now, while I haven't been at work physically, I have been at home doing different work. Uh, you and I have a presentation coming up at the NACB yes. conference in Lake Tahoe. Yes. I've been yes. working on that. I've been doing, oh man, I have been reading. I've been reading so much. I think Ooh. I have knocked out, I think seven or eight books since school I, let out. I, you know what? And I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I actually think that this might be a future episode where we have to talk about the books we read over the summer. Cause, because I know I've read a ton. I know uh, the teachers that I'm working with, they have been telling me what they're reading. So I'm super interested to hear about that. So yeah, definitely the same. You've been doing some uh, traveling with the family a little bit? No, not really. We, um, you know, with we my wife. Yeah, we went to the lake one day, went up to Lake Tahoe and the kids went in the water and then I didn't have swim stuff with me. So I went in knee deep, but, and you know, in the water actually wasn't too bad. I yeah. was I was anticipating it being a lot colder than what it was that day because there was a little bit of wind kicked up, so right. I was waiting for the cold water of the deep. Because I mean, you after all, uh, Lake Tahoe is kind of deep in spots. So, yeah, it just a bit. Yeah, so what it's like sixteen hundred feet or something, no big yeah. deal. Um, but yeah, so we went out there. We went out to Truckee one morning. Went to a really good coffee shop, and cool. uh, you know, and then my wife had some of her friends from Vegas come up uh, with their kids, so. You, they all had a lot of fun, and then I was spending a lot of time watching soccer, and then I've been to a lot of Reno yes. Aces baseball games. I see that too. Definitely, I you know I see I see the posts all the time. I I am I I am ashamed to say that I have not been to a game this year. Well, we'll we'll make that change here one night pretty quick. So I, I'm really sh- I'm shocked because usually I I go I go quite a few. It's just this year. We've been we've been in the mountains hiking. We've been doing a ton of camping and yeah. Just well, and then you were around. at a conference in what Maryland, Washington D.C. I was I was at the Model Schools Conference in D.C. And I will I know we did an episode where we talked about conferences, and I have to say, it was the best conference I've ever been to. Oh wow! It was it was seriously amazing speakers and um, yeah, it was super powerful like super powerful what people are doing in their schools. So I highly recommend that one. If people are out there looking for a conference model schools, it's going to be in Orlando this year comes around in June. If uh, you're looking for a good conference, I, I highly recommend it. Very nice. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, you mentioned one about what we read this summer. Yep. I think you and I will be doing an episode on our own here in the next few weeks. Oh, where yeah. Reading and then, the conference yes. you went to, and then I'm going to be going to QLDI 
uh, yes. here pretty soon as well. So I'll be able to talk a little bit about that. And then wow. now the big thing that I've been doing though, I was going to say, I, 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 I didn't know if I, I was allowed to say anything, but you, you, go ahead. you definitely are. So now, and you know, it's funny when we did our year end wrap up episode, I said, I had dropped a hint at the beginning that I was going to talk about it and then never did right. in the episode. Cause we just got talking <laughs> about all sorts of other stuff. But right. what I was going to say in that episode is that I've been working on a book. Right. You know, I put in some uh, work on this book and uh, it was getting along yep. with it, whatever. And over the last month or so, I had been talking back and forth with EduMatch Publishing about it. And right. they gave me some feedback on it. And then I got an email one day with a contract offer for said book. Nice. So nice. I signed so the you, contract. You have been working. <laughs> yes. And so I signed uh, the book contract and then. Ever since I signed that contract, I really got motivated, and I, Good. I actually will say we're recording this on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. and uh, I just finished the book this morning. Oh, nice! Yeah, I was about okay. I was at about halfway when I signed the contract a week ago, and I just started cranking. And then one night this past weekend, I laid in bed for about an hour, couldn't sleep, so I got up and said, "You know, I'm just going to type away for a little bit." I got yeah. some. Great feedback from John Carippo on some things to do with it. And I started typing. And the next thing I knew, it was 4 (laughs) a.m. And I had to be up. We were were going out to meet a friend out in Truckee at like 8.30. I'm like, you know what? There is no point going to bed at this point. So I stayed up all night. (laughs) I think I wrote, I think I wrote two and a half chapters that night alone. So, but yeah, I finished it up this morning and I will be speaking Congrats. with the publisher again pretty soon and then starting to get the editing process going and uh we'll see when uh that'll be coming out oh okay all right so so people listening stay tuned because that's gonna drop absolutely so but um you know what so it has been a while since we chatted so that also yes. means it's been a while since we've had a beer together yes. so yes why don't so you uh tell us uh what you're drinking okay so i will start so i went with uh a local favorite brewer's cabinet um dare i say maybe my favorite local brewery and, and and i will say that i mean i i have yet to have a bad beer at their brewery they have amazing food um yeah it's just an amazing place so i went with their dragon punch ipa now i i didn't know this but apparently there's dragon punch ale and then there's a dragon punch ipa i didn't know that either i thought they had just the ipa well, and, and so, and, and the only reason I say that is because when I was on, because of course, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, um, of making sure I check in on my beers and on untapped and there's two of them. And I do remember that in the, in the actual brewery on draft, I believe they have the other one. And this is the IPA, which I bought at my local grocery store, um, in a can, it's a 6.8, um, ABV. This is interesting. They list the IBUs as seven. Which... You know, I, I've got it pulled up because I read this in your notes and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And yeah, it is. That's what I said. Yeah. So I'm I'm just wondering because now I'm looking at the Dragon Punch Strong Ale one. Yes. Not the, not the IPA one. Yep. And that one's seven four ABV and it doesn't have IBU listed. I'm wondering Correct. if whoever created the beer in the app, I wonder if they confuse the two of them well that's that's what i'm wondering and 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 i i may or may not frequent that brewery i i kind of want to talk to the guys that work there and go what is the is the ibu because it's an ipa 
I mean, it's not, it's not super overpowering or anything like that. You know, it's not a double IPA or anything like that, but it is clearly, in my opinion, more than seven. Yeah. And I mean, even like your hazy IPAs, they tend to be lower in the IBUs. I, I think yeah. I had one. I had one from Lead Dog or Revision in the last week or so. That was only like mm. it only hit like twenty eight, which for an IPA yeah. that's you know low. But that's but it was a low. hazy IPA. Right. Ha- you know the hazy IPAs are different, right. but Dragon Punch isn't no. A hazy. No, it's not. It's not. It's definitely fruity. It's definitely got. Um, there's definitely some citrus in there, but nothing like a hazy. Um, nothing like a Citra or anything like that. But I would agree with you that that is something I need to research. Um, but I, it's definitely it's a solid it's, um, a solid IPA. Actually, I I mean I I do try to uh, to when I go to my local my local grocery store I do try to find all my local beers. So super excited to have this one. And then you, my friend, went with something totally unexpected. Yeah, I went to a Reno Aces game one night, and the beer selection there it isn't terrible. But at the same time, though, I, I was looking to get more bang for my buck, so. When I looked, they had the 24-ounce cans of various beers, you know, typically domestic mm-hmm. or, like, you know, mm-hmm. Mexican imports. Or you could get the 12-ounce, you know, local pours or whatever for yes. the same price, nine fifty or something. So, I'm oh, like, yeah. you know what? Oh, yeah. I'm just going to go with something pretty standard out of the can, get a little more bang for my buck. And uh, I went up to the stand and saw that they had um, they had chiladas. They had the micheladas yeah. in a can, a Mexican-style one. So, I had... Right. That night I had the sole Michelada in a can, and then I ended up getting later on a Dos Equis and had to make it into a Michelada. But um, okay. so I've been on a Michelada kick lately. So <laughs> I bought a six pack of Corona Familiar. Okay, I, I'm butchering my Spanish right now. And then I bought the Clamato, and right. I have lime, salt, and hot sauce. Mixed it all up and made myself a homemade one. Sweet. Yeah, six percent on the ABV on the Corona Familiar. Uh, no right. IBU. I, yeah. I will straight up say this out of the Corona family, this is probably the worst one. Right. It, well, it's that, not that, a good beer. So, so yours might be a seven IBU, actually. That it could be actually. My experience with with Corona is is, is it tends to be a little on the lower side. Yeah, no, this, but this one, it, it's not a real great beer, but uh, it definitely by adding the clamato and the hot sauce and the salt and lime and everything. Really, it, it's really good. So, and cool. just to give an idea, and actually, we're going to do this for Learn About later in the show as well. But just to give kind of an idea uh, for those out there that like Bloody Marys with the, you know, the tomato juice and the yeah. the hot, the spicy with the vodka yeah. and whatnot. Same thing, except it's made with beer instead of vodka. Oh yeah, yeah. And I I I probably had one or two. I can be honest. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I've been tell, really I on a kick with them the lately. I will tell you the time of day that I had those, but let's just say the sun was up. Nice. <laughs> and it may have, may have just come up. But nice. We'll Very nice. So, But hey, we have a guest. We do have a guest. So we've been talking our mouths off now for oh, quite a bit, and she has yeah. been sitting here patiently listening to Very us patient. and probably wondering how crazy we are at this point. <laughs> so um, why don't we go ahead and welcome Megan Kessner to the podcast. Megan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, very interesting conversation you have going there. <laughs> My own beer of choice, 805 tonight. Um, I think it comes up with a 4.7 APV, APV and a 20 IBU. 
Yes, correct. Yes, Firestone yes. Walker, uh, kind of a kind of a standard, just good summertime solid beer out here on the West Coast. Definitely, um, like that kind of blonde ale vibe going lately. So that was my choice tonight. That's that that is definitely a solid, good choice. I will say that I've made my purchases of those also. Yeah, my dad. Um, that's his beer of choice right now. He goes in kicks where like he only buys one kind of beer. And whenever I go to my dad's house uh, and there's beer in the fridge for a while, it was Michelob Ultra. But as of the last year or so, it has been Firestone Walker 805 in his fridge. Upgraded. Uh, Absolutely. He upgraded. (laughs) Right on. So, hey, we have Megan, you're a guest. So let's let's get to know you. Like, like, who are you? What are you about? Like, like, give us a give us a rundown. (laughs) <laughs> I hate that question, but um, <laughs> it's a better interview question, right? You know, like yeah, like who are you? Like, what have you been up to in the last couple of years? All <laughs> good, quick, quick now, off the top of your head. I'm a sped teacher. Um, this summer, I am not as fortunate as you guys. Um, I have been working in a classroom, and I will have to say, I've been loving it as a Gen Ed English teacher. It has been so awesome because I have unlimited resources, which is like everybody's dream, right, as a teacher, Mm -hmm. but really incorporating some of that technology that I don't get to incorporate during the school year. We're doing some virtual reality stuff, some augmented reality, and it's just been so fun. Um, That paired with the beach has been a perfect summer for me. Um, But normally I wear the special education teacher hat um, during the school year. Okay. yeah, so, how you, so how did you get the the gen ed english are you doing like a summer school or year round or how's that work? it is a summer like a summer school position it's through um upward bound so they're taking youth that are a little bit at a disadvantage mm-hmm. and giving them um, a skill set and also a college experience to hopefully um, encourage them to go down that path later on Very nice. And uh, so you're a special ed teacher during the year. You're doing the English right now. And then you also, we were talking about, I've got my book coming out here before long. You actually have two books that are coming out here pretty soon. So we would love to hear a little bit more about that, uh, whatever you want to share. I totally didn't want to steal your thunder because that is (laughs) at the point you're at. So congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) I'm also with the same publisher as you, EduMatch. Um, just to let you know, they are a dream to work with. So um, as far as publishers go, um, one of my books that's coming out is called Hashtag No More Labels. And it's really written from a perspective of a person that has had those labels put on throughout their school life. Um, and having them put on me as an adult as well and really just kind of encouraging teachers encouraging adults to strip away those labels for kids because i can see like in the classroom um they really do try to live up to those labels and they just get a reputation going that is really rough and kind of dictates their future and it starts really really young with our Um, the newest trend with the clip charts. And I've heard my stepson come home and say, hey, so-and-so is a bad kid. And I'll look at him and I'll say, well, why is he a bad kid? Well, he can never get on blue or purple or whatever the color is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, 
as we know, there's always underlying issues or underlying um, triggers for behavior. But just to hear that at such a young age broke my heart. And also um, some of my colleagues in my teacher cohort or my teacher prep cohort saying those kids, that is just like nails on the chalkboard for me. And I feel like sometimes that that conversation isn't had enough. So I kind of wrote it in a rebellious mode, but also from a place of, hey, we just need to stop. Like we need to find something else or we just need to call people by their names and see what their value is. And that's kind of that book and where it's going. And also I was able to incorporate a lot of student voice into that book and um, current students in saying like things that they are, but what they don't want to be labeled as and what they want to be seen for, which is pretty powerful in itself. Oh yeah, that, that is. And I think, I think that is one of the hugest, I don't, I don't want to say like a barrier. I, I'm not really sure the right word, but I just, you hear all the time that we, we, we just use these labels. And I think, I don't think people consciously mean to use them sometimes. Like I've, I've heard multiple times people say this student's low. And that, that's for me is like a hot button issue where I will say, stop. What, what do you mean by low? What, they're, they're, they're short. Like they're, they're not low. They're, they're struggling in an academic area. Let's talk about that. So I think that's, conversation too of what their strengths are because we could have I had a student who was nonverbal but could code and she would crack into these systems and I was like what the heck yeah well and I think that's I I think you're spot on with that is like what are these kids gifts rather than focusing on their 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 the word their deficits or actually I don't even like that let's let's talk about where they're struggling where where's an area that they need to grow in but let's start talking about their gifts so cool that is super cool. So when did you, how long ago did you write that book? That book um, is in the focus group stage. So it'll okay. be dropping in about four to five months. Okay. Um, which I'm really excited about. And um, it has been kind of a pet project. And I've, I started a Google Doc and just kind of putting some ideas together. And then um, really got the push when I heard of people who were refusing teaching jobs based on the types of kids that were localized in schools. And that was my internal push. Yeah, I have that same experience uh, in my job. Uh, I do a program after school at my school that it's designed for students that rather than expelling them, sending them to the alternative school, we have this program where Student, they, they don't go to the regular school throughout the day. They come to me for an hour and a half after school, four days a week to do school work online. And then they're expected to do the rest of their work online during the day throughout the week. And I would get, anytime I'd get a new student, I always want to know about them because I want to know how to approach this kid. I don't necessarily need to know, like, you know, why they, they're there. You know, all oh, this kid got in a three fight. So I don't need to know that. But what I want to know, I want to know a little bit about the kid. So I have an idea of how to approach this kid and what kind of what kind of person I'm going to have to be in order to be a role model for this kid. So and you get teachers and you get even administrators just tell you that all oh, this kid is so terrible that you're going to have this kid's a joy, you know, sarcastically, whatever. And then you get to work with this kid for a couple, three weeks and like, wait, where, where's this kid that you supposedly told me about? I'm not I'm not experiencing this. And all it takes is just a little bit of patience 
and a little bit of understanding, which is something that a lot of the kids that I had in there never had. Now, don't get me wrong. There's days where I'm pulling my hair and I don't even have hair in my head. I'm pulling it off, you know, but I mean, just, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. It just really burned me listening to some of that stuff, especially when I, I had one kid that they talked about what a nightmare he was. And then all of a sudden, like, he's one of my best kids in there at the end of the year. Right. And uh, I told him, I go, I, no offense, I don't want to see you next year because that means he's back in the regular school environment. But if he ends up coming back, I know how to work with him at least and to where he could be successful. Right. And I think that is uh, a great approach, but often it's those na- that negative side that kids get stuck with. And I just really want to start having that conversation more and more. So hopefully it takes off. Hopefully it's a good read. Um, I'm very excited about that. So look for that. And then the next couple months, um, and the other book that I'm working on that I'm super excited about is a graphic novel. It's called Lessons and Lattes. And the main character is the, a latte um, named Miss Latte. And it's about all of her adventures in the classroom, particularly my adventures from the past year depicted in coffee and donuts and biscuits and all the other pastry treats uh, that you find in the coffee shop. And the reason that I rolled with that one, one is because I am majorly addicted to coffee. And (laughs) the reason is it started, honestly, as a little stress relief project and gained a lot of momentum on Twitter and Instagram. And my friends are like, you need to do something more with this. And kind of halfway through the year, I started supporting some newer teachers in my school site. And I just realized like they needed that break. They needed that relief. So I'm hoping that that's what this book will bring. Um, some comic relief, at least a smile. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Okay. So now I'm super in- interested. I am too, so because you... I love comic books and graphic oh, me novels. Too. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally a huge in. comic book nerd. I have so many. And so I'm curious, like, are you doing, are you doing everything? Do you have an artist to like, tell us about that? I did everything, awesome. um, 100%, and I have the pen and ink sketches from, like, it kind of took off, but started Christmas break in December, um, I have the pen and ink sketches, then was able to graphically design it on the computer, and wow. use Book Creator, which has been awesome, to place the images and the quotes and everything like that, and just it's been a like one woman operation and it's just been so amazing and you've been working on both books at the same time yeah wow (laughs) yeah wow what yeah yeah definitely wow i'm not gonna complain about having to go to work for for half a day so i can make some schedules so that that is super awesome um so, so that one, are you, are you looking for a publisher now for the graphic novel or is it, are you going to self-publish? How's that going to work? That one is actually going to also be published through Edumatch as well. Okay, cool. And they're very excited about the project because it will be their first graphic novel. So it's kind of a win-win for both of us. So super excited. Um, hopefully that will drop around Christmas or Christmas break so that teachers can get it as a nice um, break present. So that's my goal with that one. And then we can expect the Marvel Studios rendition of it within the next year after that, right? (laughs) Maybe a movie or something. We'll see. 
Ooh. So they Ryan just announced Rip. they just announced Thor four. So maybe maybe they'll pair yours up right after Thor four. <laughs> we'll see if I'm not lucky. So uh, I am curious, and I know Kyle's been going through this process. It's it's new to me, but I'm I'm curious about like how did you how did you seek out a publisher? How how did that how did how did that work? How did you get started in that direction? Uh, for me. I think it was, I really wanted my message to be heard. I've been guest blogging a little bit. I'm not really, I can't say that I'm 100% into the blogs because I'm not, but I've been guest blogging a little bit. I don't mean, I maintain mine a little bit, but not as much as I should probably. Mm-hmm. But um, I, one of my friends, she's an amazing inspiration to me. She really pushed me to find a publisher. She read it and she's like, no, this needs to get out there. And I heard great things about Edgy Match. Um, they reviewed it. They liked it. And then Lessons and Lattes just kind of happened. Um, natural, more organic, I would say, than the No More Labels. Awesome. That Yeah, that uh, that is interesting how you how – you, I, I think because a lot of people listening, they're like, well, how do you how do you get into that? So did you just send them your, your manuscript or – that how it kind of works and kind of hope for the best i would say i be prepared to be rejected i was rejected by another publisher okay um but you know is how much do you believe in your project how much do you believe in your message and do you Mm -hmm. want to get it out there because there are a number of good publishing companies out there right right now which is awesome for educators it's awesome for the messages that need to get out but um, just kind of finding your niche um, is really important. That yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on with that because I I remember because I've been in education for a long time. I mean, it used to be like the only books that came out were from the big ones like ASCD, Solution Tree, mm-hmm. those kind of people. And then now it's so amazing. So you have Dave Burgess and all those books. You have EduMatch. You have like I th- I think it just it expanded the availability of great ideas. I agree with you. And I think that's so important as educators, um, talking about the community aspect, talking about, you know, having each other's backs and even just the exchange of ideas, because I could be thinking something and then you could add on to it that just makes it that much better. And that's really what it's about for the kids is just making their experiences um, amazing, like better than when I went to school or even you went to school. I'm sure you have some horror stories out there. But uh, you know, we got to continue to grow and that's what education is all about. And what I like too about these companies like your Day Burgesses and your EduMatches is that the people that are publishing the books are, they're still educators. Whereas, you know, Ben, you mentioned these bigger ones, uh, the, the companies where a lot of right. those authors in the past were, that was their full-time job. They wrote or mm-hmm. they were consultants of some sort that hadn't been oh, in the yeah. classroom in a very, very long time. And, it's, it's almost to the point where they're not so much approachable. So yeah. years ago, I met Harry Wong, author of The First Days of School. Yes. But, you know, he was very nice in person meeting him. But at the same time, that's all he did. He went on the traveling circuit. He talked. He wrote that book. And he just didn't seem very approachable. Whereas, you know, the books that I'm reading now, like Be Real by Tara Martin, that's somebody mm-hmm. that I met at a conference a couple mm-hmm. of years ago and over the course of communicating with her over time, you know, I, I consider her a friend now. And then she writes a book. And I'm like, Hey, I know her, you know, same with Tisha yeah. Richmond with make, make learning magical. And Sarah Thomas, I met her 
at the Q Nevada event a couple yep. of years ago, mm-hmm. and that's when I first learned about Edgy Match. I learned about I she was just starting the publishing wing at that point, mm-hmm. you know, and then the book started to come out and. And I remember saying to her at one point, you know, I've got an idea for a book that, you know, someday I'm going to be getting a hold of you about this. And then Brent Coley, when he wrote yep. Stories of Edgy Influence, I, you know, I, I read his book. I loved it. And then he went through Edgy Match as well. And one day I just, I got a hold of him. I said, hey, I want to pick your brain. And he and I got on a Google Hangout and talked for over an hour where I just talked to him about his process and how Edgy Match worked and had he gone through other publishers and right. you know, Megan, just like you, he had had an experience where he had his book idea shut down by another publisher and you know, he was accepted by edgy match. And I just based on his experience, that's who I decided to go with first. And if edgy match would have shut me down, I would have gone with somebody else. But fortunately right. my idea was picked up by edgy match. And now, and I love, they, they talk about being part of the family. Now that when, once you become accepted into you know, the publishing circle with Edgy Match, you're part of that family now. And it's just, it, it's been a little over a week. And I just, it, it's such an amazing experience already. And Megan, I'm sure you can attest to the same thing. Yeah, definitely. I love like, you know, we're in a boxer group and everything. And I mm-hmm. love like the exchange of ideas, just like the family, the community aspect of it is, um, is great. Well, and I think, I think you're finally going to start to see, I think what's happening in education, at least from my perspective is is you're getting i don't want to say the smaller publishers or or you know these non i guess non-traditional publishers they're gaining momentum because people are buying their books they're more approachable they're more i mean i'm thinking about like our friend uh randall dr randall sampson i mean like writes a book you can text you can you dm him he will he will talk to you like those i think that's what what I think educators want. They, you read somebody's book, but then you have more questions. And when you can like shoot somebody a, a direct message on Twitter and they respond to you, that's super powerful. And I, I think, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's one thing that I really appreciated about Tish Richmond um, mm-hmm. and Magical. Just even like the constant, like she's always um, sending out games or stuff that you can really implement right there in your classroom. And she's, you know, saying like, oh, send me a picture or just like that realness comes back. Like she genuinely, you feel like she genuinely cares about how you implement her ideas into the classroom. Yeah, I'm doing a book study on Voxer right now on Social media by Jennifer Casa Todd mm-hmm. and she's part of the book study. She's coming on and commenting on our takeaways from her book. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. think you can hold a book study on it by Stephen King and have Stephen no. King come on and do that kind of thing. He, well, he and, doesn't have that kind of time. For and it. I, yeah, exactly. And I won't even, I mean, there are people out there who we've all read who have done tons of meta analysis and research. And we all know who those people are. I guarantee you, if you direct message their Twitter account, they're not responding to you. I mean, and that's, that's kind of a bummer. Cause I, I was just thinking it was so funny as, as we're talking about this, we had, I had just seen um, Eric Scheninger at Model Schools and uh, a couple of principals I'm working with, we had a, a question about something he had done. And like, we sent him a, like a, an email and he's like totally getting back to us. He sent us all kinds of samples and stuff. That's, I think that's the power of like, of that media. It's not just Twitter and, and social media, but when you have like authors that will like share their stuff, like they talk about something in a book, that's gonna sell them more books. Cause I definitely am going to buy more of his books because of that. 
Right. Just that approachability is key, I think. And I think that that's what educators really need and are latching onto, like you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Megan, so- you talked a lot about how with hashtag no more labels, how you wrote that based on a lot of experience, not just with yourself, and but also with your school. So uh, mm-hmm. now what kind of things are you doing in your school site to kind of the, the words I'm, I'm looking for are not going to sound right, but because I, I don't want to say your book is an agenda, but just kind of push like what you're putting into your book to implement in your school to eradicate those labels. Uh, the first part, one of the projects that's included um, was at a site where I had a lot of Hispanic students and the, that project kind of happened by accident. Um, it starts out with saying like, I may be um, Hispanic, Latino or whatever their culture was, but I am more than that. And it goes on to say like, you know, I'm good at art, but nobody ever notices or whatever. It's kind of like a form assignment, but just reading it was such an impact. Like nobody sees beyond my culture or my hair or my ethnicity. And I took a step back at that point and I really realized that I needed to start having conversations with my kids and other teachers about what they wanted to be seen as and how we could help them move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and then another, a lot of it is just about student voice because I don't think, I mean, in English, it's a lot of writing and we can really care a lot about our students, but teaching chemistry or geometry, you can't hear as much from your students. And I think just finding ways to incorporate student voice, student writing, student thoughts into your lessons is so huge and so important. So this started out as an assignment that you gave the kids in class and it was like kind of a writing deal. And then you started to realize just kind of like what the kids were saying. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was really lucky that that particular class, I kind of called them the breakfast club because they came from all different backgrounds, socioeconomic status, even um, I would say levels of disability, if we can say that here. Um, and they just all came together and they were so close knit during that period. And then it was just kind of like this eerie, like on the last day of school, it was this eerie, like, okay, it's over. So now what do we do? But that class really did teach me a lot about listening to what they were saying because they really felt like their voice wasn't heard a lot, but they actually have a lot of insightful thoughts that you wouldn't necessarily think of. So yes, to answer your question in the most long-winded way possible, it kind of started as a writing process, writing <laughs> task but then uh, it grew into something way bigger than that well no, I, I appreciate you uh explaining that because i mean that's kind of what i thought it was but right. i just wanted to i just wanted to make sure so th- thank you for clarifying <laughs> those those are usually the best ones though yes it organically moves somewhere and then i also incorporated some of like my back to school activities or practices because they're a little different than the standard ones that you see online on teachers pay teachers in forums or wherever you go for your um inspirations because they ask those tough questions what are you really afraid of or what do you fear and Mm -hmm. i think it's so important to kind of check in on those levels um because 
you're going to learn stuff that you wouldn't normally learn about your kids. And at sometimes those triggers or thoughts really do help you make the lesson or your classroom more approachable and engaging. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but the writing project, you know, absolutely amazing. So now how did you get teachers to get more on board with your ideas as well. So it sounds like your students really bought into uh, eradicating the labels, but what about teachers you work with? It was just, I started having the conversations on a personal level um, and kind of how the labels affected me. And some of them respected me as a colleague. So we talked about what it felt like or what it, what it, what the perception was and then they started seeing, and then I would encourage them to have like assignments with their kids or talk to their kids. And they started to see the buy-in or the increased buy-in. So it was kind of like that immediate reinforcer of um, more student buy-in when they took a step back and did something more on a personal level. Cool. So um, I guess like, as you move forward, where do you see like like using that the work you've already started? Like, what's your what do you what are you envisioning in the next year? Maybe around that. That's a tough one because I'm not a hundred percent sure where I'm going to be within the next year. But uh -huh. what I really really want to start happening is systemic wide and um, looking at when how colleges approach students with disabilities or their abilities um, and what options and opportunities are available to them and just working down. And I don't, um, Kyle, I know you're also a special ed teacher, but um, in California, our program is so bad. I will have to say special ed is just, it needs to be revamped really, really bad. And that's what I'm kind of hoping as we get away from the labels and really truly look at the abilities and then needs or the areas for growth that we can really go back to that individualized plan to mm -hmm. help students achieve what they want to do or even a further education. Well, I don't think it's just California. I think a lot of states, you know, including Ben and I state of Nevada struggles with special, ed special education. I will say that one of the things in our most recent uh, legislative cycle, special ed was something that actually got protected. You know, there was definitely fights over other aspects of right. educational funding, uh, especially right. over teacher salaries uh, yeah. in the state. But one thing that they definitely tried to protect was funding for special education and for English language learning education. Right. And, you know, the bulk of that money definitely goes to Clark County, the mm -hmm. Las Vegas area, and a lot of the other counties in Nevada feel slighted over that. But at the same time, though, the, yeah. the bulk of the population, the population in Nevada is, is there. there. Mm -hmm. So right. that was a breath of fresh air to see the legislature fighting for that, at least. Well, and, and, and Megan, you bring up a good point. And I don't think, I think that's something that I know my experience, I've always been an elementary uh, educator, teacher, administrator, but I don't think we do, I don't think we talk enough about what does it look like for our students who are receiving special education services for whatever reason, 
what does that look like when they move beyond when they when they graduate like what does it look like in a college like what are their opportunities in a four year what are their opportunities in maybe a two year like I, I don't know I know that um, my husband who is disabled has had a really hard time working with the disability support services Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that it's kind of like you have these accommodations, but it's up to the teacher if you're going to get them. It's not as binding as under 18. And so I can see even just watching his struggles and taking like a multiple choice test, for example, that's the only way they test on the content. Mm -hmm. And he can tell you in an anatomy lab, he can dissect perfectly because he's a hands-on learner. Right. Give him a multiple choice test and he's going to fail all day long. So I'm really pushing to kind of look at that systemically because I feel like there's a high frustration level, high dropout rate, and just overall opportunities decrease. Um, So that's kind of like where my vision is. Cool. Um, because they are so supported, or at least my kids were so supported in high school, and it drops off to almost nothing in college to kind of figure out if there's an in-between that we could really focus on and help um, students or young adults um, achieve things. Yeah, that's a tough conversation to have in an exit IEP that you've been supported <laughs> for this time, but now right. you're going to go off to college. And you know, co- here's the phone number for office of diversity or excuse me disability services at said college that you're going to but at this point it's out of my hands i can't help you here's you know here's your exit iep proving that these are the accommodations you had so uh, you know good luck to you kid at this point so that's a it's a tough conversation i mean parents for the most part understand at least and the student understands but at the same time though that's just, that's tough especially if the their disabilities are very very severe to where no support is just going to sink that stu- that kid. Or if it's a, a disability that requires a specific accommodation right. that is dependent on the teacher. So it's yeah, it's a tough conversation, but I just I really feel like we need to start having it, um, and I feel like there's opportunity for growth there. For sure. Well, and we've had this conversation on this show before, and I've had it with numerous other people that. We're at a point in our world where you, if you don't know something in your job, you can look it up. And just this whole, this whole idea, I mean, I haven't been in a regular college class in a long time. I've done my stuff online, but I, so, I mean, you're talking, I've been, it's been 20 years since I've been in a regular college class, but I still remember that whole, like, Hey, here's your test. Uh, you don't know it all well, too bad for you kind of deal. And we only have three tests. So if you fail it, you know, you're probably going to end up failing the class too. So it's just at the point where, why do we have to have time tests? Why do we have to have these restricted tests at this point? Because, you know, like I said, in my job, if my boss comes up to me right now and says, hey, I need you to do this and I don't know how to do it, I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to look it up. I'm I'm not going to get punished because I didn't get it done because I wasn't allowed to look something up. Exactly. And I think that that is kind of it's a tough conversation, but it needs to be had and we need to not be stuck. And I think somebody said this to me, like we're stuck in the 1970s right now uh, when it comes to some of the practices in education. And we really, I think, are at a point where we need to move beyond that and 
like I said, um, we only end up disservicing the students at that point. Well, Ben, hopefully that helps you out a little bit since yeah, you don't no, work with the, uh, the older students. I, yeah, well, I, I just, I think I think you nailed on the head. We do, we, we provide a ton, some places, and I, I think to the best of our abilities in schools, we provide kids with support. We want them to be successful. But I do worry about like, when they leave, are we making sure that they're prepared? They have opportunities beyond within a four-year college and 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 within, you know, being successful in the world. I think that's mm -hmm. that's like you described, like your hands-on learners, your people. I have tons of friends that can do things that like that are amazing to me. Like I have a friend who who always jokes with me. He's like, "Well, you're you know, you went to college, you know, a master's degree, and you know all this stuff." And I'm like, "But you can take a car apart and put it back together." I have no idea how to do that. Like that is, that is to me, that is so high level thinking that you should be like that. That's a gift, <laughs> you know? And I, I, I worry too much that we, we, we put too much value on a piece of paper from a four year degree. That's, but that's my opinion. My goal, I guess, is to move away from the labels to recognize those that can take a car apart and put mm -hmm. it back together, those that can hack into computer systems mm -hmm. and order $3,000 worth of stuff and not get <laughs> I mean, like, you know, yeah. but like the thing is, is she's never going to have a job, like, right. because she's nonverbal, even though yeah. I don't know, love the computer geeks out there, but they don't really speak much anyways. They're very, like, tunneled right. into their <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> If <laughs> she can't, you know, get through or jump through the hoops. Right. You right. know, and I feel like there's, and that's kind of why I got into special education or even education was I just saw all this untapped potential for kids and it just frustrated me. I'm like, definitely not the teacher that will put on movies. I am not the teacher that will <laughs> give you work. I will push you with your abilities, like, you know, and your creativity and your innovation, because that's what really matters right now. And I, I just, I feel so strongly that that's not being done enough. I used to be that teacher that judged a student based on if they were going to go off to college or not. But then I switched to a school that focused on career and technical education and completely <laughs> flipped my way of thinking about things. And nowadays especially when I'm sitting with a kid prepping for their IEP to think about what kind of goals should we work on this year? What are you planning for the future? Those kinds of things. And, you know, if a kid is stuck, I, 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 I just start ticking off some stuff that may be of interest to them. And very rarely do I mention anything about college mm -hmm. in the first part of that conversation. I will ask them if they're interested in firefighting, if they are interested in culinary arts, if they're interested in taking a car apart and putting it back together. A lot of this hands-on stuff because, again, there are so many students that struggle with academic-type subjects but can rip a car apart and put it back together. It's, right. a, it's just a, it's a different kind of skill set. And a lot of those jobs, they're making way more money than the four-year college students anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and, and we've, and people have listened to this. I've told my story where like I was, I, were it not for a hands-on vocational training, I would not have graduated high school. I, I was not, I was not, if you asked me at 17, if this is what I would be doing, no way. So, I mean, but I needed, I needed that. I needed to do things. And then what happened is, you know, with a lot of people that I know, 
you know, like when you hit your mid twenties, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, well maybe I can go back and do that. But I had options at that point because I had done that. And I, we've, we talk a lot about that. It was like career and tech ed and those kind of, those kind of things that is super powerful for kids. Cause that's their, that's their jam. That's what they're into. It's yeah. And you know, I kind of tell the story too. Um, I didn't start out being a teacher. If you had asked me 15, 16, I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to be mm-hmm. on the superior court. I wanted to be a judge. <laughs> that was like, you know, I did mock trial. I did all of that. And, right. um, you know, I was fast tracking for that. And then all of a sudden I had to make this decision like what I am going to do, um, some stuff had fallen apart and I didn't know. So I picked speech pathology and audiology and going into that major, I had no clue what that was. Two years later, because I started at a um, community college two years Mm later, I'm finding out you need a master's degree to practice as a speech language pathologist. My wife is in grad school right now doing that exact thing. Kyle knows all about that. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, at that point, it was impacted and, you know, whatever, and I couldn't get in. And so I started working in social services and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, Cool. Got my MSW. and um, Yeah, I loved it. And had you asked me if I'd ever thought of being a social worker, no. Did I get my MSW because I was truly interested in social work? No, it was to keep a job that I had but I realized I could do it. And I was getting that hands-on experience while I was going to work. And then again, situations happened and, you know, I found myself with an opportunity to enter education, but I was fortunate enough to be able to do that hands-on component while also having my book work. Do, do you feel that that social work background helps you, especially when you're, when you're working with families? Yes. Hands okay. down. Yes. Okay. Um, I would definitely say that um, it has also helped me in really, really tough situations. Okay. Um, and having and navigating those difficult conversations as well. Yeah, because I I can imagine that 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 kind of training and 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 actually my wife and I are just having this this conversation about students in trauma and when we talk about families mm-hmm. in trauma because because often when you have a student in trauma. It, the, the family's in a crisis or something. And it's just, I would imagine having that social worker background really helps you help, help them not only like empathize, empathize with them, but also help them navigate the system. And also like, I, I call it like triaging too, because right. often there's multiple layers to a situation or a problem. And it right. really helps you like triage what the most important or the most important components are. And then kind of, what can take a secondary backseat and mm-hmm. that has been really beneficial in wow. some situations I've encountered. I, it would, it would be great. And this is totally my own personal opinion. It would be great if a lot, if more, if pre-service teachers had just some of that training. Cause I, I just, in, in my 21 plus years of, of working in education, I just see now more and more, we, we encounter situations where I just feel that, some of my, they're just not prepared for it. It's not that they, they, they don't want to do it or they can't do it. It's just, they just don't have the tools to do it. I agree. Um, I definitely think there's a skill set that comes in. Um, and I think going through that process, you are exposed to certain situations. Mm-hmm. So then when you're dealing with them um, with a family or a student, it makes mm-hmm. it just a little bit easier 
there have been situations that I still like to this day, I will go over in my head. Did I do the right thing? Did I, you know, did I do this the right way? Um, and situations that I definitely think had I not had that training, I wouldn't have jumped in and handled. I would have tried to push them off on someone else. That probably wasn't as qualified either. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but there's no rule book. There's no guidelines. I think it just like, you know, with everything else that comes with experience, yep. Yep. having some of that knowledge makes it a little bit easier or having a connection um, in an agency or a service also helps as well. Oh, that's a great point. That is a great point. Now, the one rule that there should be just the, the takeaway I'm taking from everything you've been saying is we start getting rid of these labels and it's just going to be that right. much better for all mm-hmm. of our students. So I think about when I was in high school and the kids that were in wood shop and auto shop, oh, they're the dumb kids. So, right. and sadly here we are, you know, that was 25 years ago. Here we are. And it's still, that's still mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love to hear that you're doing so many great things to try to get rid of those labels, especially for students with special needs, because those are the students that are labeled the most. I will say it's definitely the students with special needs. And honestly, I really feel for our foster youth and our homeless youth as well. I think they are stuck with even more labels than the foster youth and, Mm -hmm. or for, excuse me, the students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not even at that point being empathetic or sympathetic It is um, people can be downright cruel and mm-hmm. not really understanding like you um, kind of talked about the trauma, but that is a trauma in and of itself. And right. also when um, they're teenagers, that identity crisis that goes on, right. all of that is so, so rough. And they never, like, I feel like students don't have a fighting chance. Um, the more we label, the more they're those kids, the more they're the troublemakers, you know, every label that gets added, you know, kind of becomes so cumbersome. And it's like almost like a weight on their shoulders they can never get off. And um, that's really like in my heart where it was written from was more for the foster youth, honestly. Well, I think I can speak for both Ben and I. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hashtag no more labels for sure i'm looking forward to but i i mean i can't i I hate to say it i'm looking forward even more to the graphic novel though but that's just the comic book nerd in me (laughs) uh jumping out right now me too so i'm definitely a lot very excited for lessons and lattes i'm i am excited for the message of no more labels i hope that it gains the momentum that i want it to but lessons and lattes is my pet project um hands down well, well, both of them are great concepts, and I yes. uh, really look forward to seeing those sooner rather than later. So, And now that I'm part of that Edumatch family, I'll actually have more of an inside scoop. So, Ben, I can pass it along to you when I hear yes. a little bit more. Yes, I am I, super interested in that. And I know, I know, Megan, you are on Twitter at – what is your handle on Twitter? Um, currently, it's at SpedTeacher. I am. Okay, perfect. And so, yeah. Kind of like- just these five also okay. on instagram at just megan 87 okay that was the one i'm interested in so yeah so we will we will put that in the show notes so just megan what was it again 87 like, just megan 87 so yeah check that that i think that that'll be really powerful for people to see because I, I think that just the idea of what you're doing i, I think it's super it, it's awesome and i 
like Kyle said, I'm super excited about the graphic novel. You might Thank be the you. first educator I, I know that's like putting out a graphic novel. I'm like, has anyone else done that? I think it's been done. Um, I think the concept behind the coffee and the donuts and the pastries is definitely unique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that has been done. And I don't think it's been done from the lens of like as a teacher in the classroom. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm like, I read a ton of education books and I'm like, I have not read an education book in a graphic novel. And I'm thinking, how have we not done that before? I listened to the TLC Ninja podcast where it's education and coffee, kind of like our education and beer thing, but uh, they don't talk through the lens of the coffee itself. So, and then donuts and pastries, you know, there's a reason I'm kind of a big dude and donuts and pastries have part of the, (laughs) as part of the reason behind that. So, yeah. So there's a reason that I, there's a reason that uh, anytime I'm uh, doing any sort of drawing in my school that we give away, I give away coffee cards because I know my teachers. Coffee speaks. (laughs) So Megan, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, you guys. It's been awesome. Yeah, we would yeah. love for you to stick around for a few more minutes more because, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Michelada is. Uh, ben, do you want to tell the listeners yeah. real quick, though, where they can find us, how to get a hold yeah. of us, and all that for, good stuff? Yeah, for sure. So, like, we want to we want to keep this conversation going. If you have questions or, or, or thoughts that you have on t- what we talked about, please email us at thebeeredupodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us, uh, use the hashtag, uh, hashtag beer edu pod or at beer edu pod. That's our Twitter. You can hit us up on our Facebook page. Um, you know, make sure you follow Megan both on her Twitter and her um, Instagram. Uh, and then also, please give us a voice uh, message on the Anchor app. So if you're if you're checking that out, and then also um, we love we love when we get reviews on iTunes, um, you know, so that 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 kind of helps us out. And then also, if you want to be a guest on the Beer Edu podcast, visit our our website, and it's bit.ly slash Beer Edu podcast, and you can click on the contact and subscription info link and complete our guest form. That's how Megan did it. Yeah, I, I had never met Megan uh, before. Well, I still haven't met her in person, but um, Megan happened to track us down and put yeah. a name on that form, and here we are. So, you know, if you want to be just like Megan, go ahead and do that, and uh, we will definitely get you on. Yeah, for sure. So hit us up on there. So now, Megan, we'd love for you to stay around, but we are going to learn about the Michelada. Yes, the the beer cocktail that I have been enjoying so much as of late. So now, well, I was doing my research on this one. Uh, Wikipedia come up, and now while Wikipedia may have some errors, it's got some pretty good info. So I read a couple other sites, kind of cross-referenced it. So, um, so did your homework. I did my homework. The Michelada is a Mexican cerveza preparada. It is beer, lime juice, uh, it could be a, any of assortment of sauces. A lot of times they are chili based because you know we love our Mexican food here in Nevada and a lot of chili in Mexican food. Why not do it in the beverages as well? So you've also got spices, tomato juice, chili peppers, and then they'll do it in like a chilled salt rim glass a lot of times. So when you look at it, sometimes it almost looks like a margarita as well. So I, I mentioned that it's a lot like a bloody Mary, but it can also look a lot like a margarita as well. And they're very popular in Mexico, but they're also popular in other countries in Latin America as well. 
Um, well, then I wanted to know a little bit about the the ones that are most common here in the U.S. So they're okay. based off the ones in Mexico City a lot of times. It's prepared with beer, lime, salt, hot sauces, sometimes chili slices, sometimes even like orange slices okay. they'll put in it. Um, but there's a bunch of different ones, too, depending on where you're at. Um, the Maji sauce, I'm not even sure what that is. I know I've seen it. I'm not yeah. sure what it is, though. Um, sometimes they'll use soy sauce, tahini, which mm. is that nice lime chili powder stuff. Um, right. The kids at my school, they put it on everything. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, Worcestershire sauce is common. Chamoy powder, serrano peppers, which Ooh. not as hot as the Ooh. not as hot as the yeah. habanero, but still no, got but a nice still... little kick to them. Yeah. Um, there's a shrimp-based tomato juice called camaronazo. I okay. hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. The common one, the one that I use for mine tonight, Clamato, which is a clam right. tomato juice. And then, right. like I said, the slice of orange are sometimes in them as well. And then they also talked a little bit about where it even came from. So because, you know, it's not the first thing I think of when I think beer is like, hey, let's mix a bunch of this stuff together. But yeah. allegedly back in the 60s, we're not talking very long ago, uh, a gentleman named Michel Esper at a place in San Luis Potosi, Mexico, a place called Club Deportivo P- Potosino. Again, Potosino, my yeah. my Spanish, yeah. not no bueno. Um, <laughs> he was asking for his beer at this club with lime, salt, ice, and a straw. And then he asked okay. him to put it in this special cup called a Chabela. Bella. Yeah. And it, it basically what a lot of people are looking at is, is like, oh, you're basically making a beer lemonade, a limonada. And, well, then okay. people started to ask for the same thing that Michel Esper was asking. So it started to be, sound come across as Michel's Lemonade, Michel's Limonada. Okay. So then over time, they just kind of combined it to Michelada. And then, like, so that was his base one, but that's when the tomato juice started coming in. And they started adding the okay. other spot stuff. Um, and it's very close to the Chelada, which is basically lime juice, beer, and salt. And I know those were common about 10 years ago. Do you remember when they were doing the Miller chills and the Bud Light limes? That's, that's what the chilada is. Uh, Okay. And I've had those. I just didn't know what they were. Yeah. yeah. And I enjoy, I I remember really enjoying the uh, Miller chills and every now and then on a real hot day, a Bud Light lime isn't bad either. I will totally own that. I have purchased a, 12 pack of Bud Light Lime and I that you're you've nailed it on the head. That is the perfect. It is a hundred degrees out. That is one of the best beers. Yeah. And they you know, this is this part didn't surprise me at all. They thought it was originally that Michelle was doing this as a hangover cure. Okay, so that's where I was gonna go. I was like to me, and maybe I may have sampled some of these. And then morning after where I'm like, oh, okay, I have a headache. So this might be the, the trick. Right. Okay. So I, cause I do enjoy a good bloody Mary and oh, that's why I think I enjoy these so much as well is because they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just beer instead of the vodka. So, um, okay. so little, little, little lower octane there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, now I like to create them from scratch. I like to buy the Clamato and add everything right. together, mix it up. But, my original, what got me on the kick a couple weeks ago was from a prepared one in a can. So right. at the ball game that night, it was by Soul, the, the brewery okay, Soul yes. out of Mexico. They had the Soul right. Chilada. Modelo makes one. Tecate makes one. Budweiser and Bud Light they have. 
in the Chilada. Right. And that one actually is teamed up with the brand name Clamato as well, the Bud and Bud Light. Oh. Um, but there's other ones that are out there. And I've tasted many of those. And the Tecate one isn't very good. And the Budweiser okay. one's so-so. That right. Soul one was really good, though, I remember. But okay. And even with those prepared ones, I like to add a little more salt, lime, and hot sauce to it. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, And at the Reno Aces Ballpark, you can ask for them to chilada up a beer or you can oh. have them add to the the soul chilada or the modelo chilada you get at the game and they had this amazing smoked chili salt and Ooh. lime mixture that they put around the rim of my can that night oh it was really good wow okay well now i now i have a goal <laughs> yeah so we we talked about going to a baseball game now let's go yep. to a baseball game and get me chiladas right. so so that's wow. a little bit about that interesting beer cocktail like I said, I, I've seen them. I've probably had a couple, but I had no idea that there was that much to them. So that was a lot of fun cool. with them, though. So, But um, I think that about wraps things up. Yeah, I, I think so. I, we have to say thank you again to Megan for, for coming on and you know listening to us do, do 15 minutes at the beginning to catch up and, and then tell us all about her stuff. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun, you guys. Great. So we look forward to the IRL here at some point in the future. Yes. So, but listeners and like like Meg, we thank Megan. We thank you for listening as well. Yep. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. Right on.